them will be, cheer up, Zion, don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. That last phrase, is that not amazing? What does it just say? What does that say? He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. What does that mean? God sings. He sings. And and what does he sing and where does he sing? He sings joyful songs over you. Your God is a singing father. I just think that's absolutely amazing. He sings. He sings to us. My, uh, my in-laws are the best, uh, Tom and Sue Wilson. I love them very much. I've been in the family for over 30 years. Uh, they gave uh, their daughter to me, which is fantastic, uh, and uh, I, I love the family. Uh, my mother-in-law is seriously one of the um, classiest, most intelligent women I will ever know. Uh, my father-in-law is, is truly a great man, Tom Wilson. He is a retired Army colonel. Uh, with all of the dignity that goes with that. Uh, He uh, is a great outdoorsman. Uh, He is a very fine Episcopal layman. Um, He's just a phenomenal man. The thing about my father-in-law, though, is that he's, I don't know how to say it, he's not very emotionally demonstrative. You you know what I mean by that? Um, He doesn't show his feelings at all. Um, always the same face. It's, it's the face of a retired army colonel. It's a face that went to Vietnam, you know. And I guess at West Point in Vietnam, they taught him, you know, how not to operate with feelings. Uh, he's a great soldier. Um, anyway, he's just this man, you know. I mean, I was terrified to ask to marry his daughter. I didn't know if, you know, if he would, you know, you know pitch a grenade. I mean, I, I just didn't know. Uh, because you never know with, with Colonel Wilson. I, I think he loves me. I think, I don't know that. Um, we're going to go with the assumption that he does. Um, once we went to visit them, and uh, we've been there a little while, and Casey's mom said, uh, Daddy's so excited that you're here. <laughs> First off, she calls him Daddy. I call him Mr. Colonel Wilson, sir. <laughs> y- y'all laughing. I mean, I do. Um, it sounds weird maybe to you. I've been in the family 30 years, and I call him you know, Colonel Wilson, sir. Um, and if that sounds weird to you, understand, Casey's been in the family 50 years, and that's what she calls him, uh, Colonel Wilson, sir. So, so Casey's mom said, Daddy's so excited that you're here. And, and after 30 years, I just said, how would we know? <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, not a joke. I mean, how, how, how would we know? Uh, again, he's, he's a great man, a fine man, but, you know, some people are hard to read. Some people, you can know them forever and really still not exactly know what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Some people just don't reveal that. And if it's that hard to know how some people are feeling, what some people are thinking, then then just, just all admit that sometimes it's very, very difficult to imagine what God must be thinking, what God is feeling. Have you ever wondered? what God thinks about you, how God feels about you? Have you ever just stopped and asked yourself that question? I mean, I know that everybody says he loves you. Everybody tells you that God loves you. But honestly, how would you know? How would you know if he does? 
Zephaniah is an Old Testament prophet. He's one of those that we often read around Christmas time because Zephaniah gives a prophecy predictions about the coming day of the Lord, when the Lord comes. Zephaniah is probably, uh, you should read it, honestly, if you haven't, you really should read it. Uh, Zephaniah is probably the darkest of the Old Testament prophets. I mean, this dude is gloomy. Uh, Zephaniah, turn back if your Bible's open, turn back to verse 2. This is how he starts. First words out of his mouth. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth. Okay, that's how he starts. That's the prophet just warming up. I will sweep away everything. Verse 3, I will sweep away people and animals alike. I'll sweep away the birds of the sky, the fish in the sea. I will reduce the wicked to heaps of rubble. I will wipe humanity from the face of the earth. Boom. Those are the first words out of his mouth. In preaching class, I was taught, you know, to start with a joke. I mean, warm up the crowd a little bit. I mean, you don't want to turn them off immediately. And nothing turns a crowd off like, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth. I'm going to kill all the birds. This is Zephaniah, and it doesn't get any better. It doesn't brighten up. This is really one of the most difficult, one of the darkest prophets in the Old Testament the thing we have to remind ourselves, though, is that the, the very nature, the very function of a prophet, he's speaking for God. So when he says, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, it's followed with the words, says the Lord. I will sweep away people and animals. I'm going to sweep away birds. I'm going to kill the fish. I'm going to reduce the wicked to heaps of rubble. I will wipe humanity from the face of the earth. Three words, says the Lord. Yeah, this is a book of wrath. I will crush Judah and Jerusalem with my fist. I will destroy every last trace, put an end to all their idolatry. I will destroy those who used to worship me but now no longer do. They no longer ask for the Lord's guidance or seek my blessings. Stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign Lord for the awesome day of the Lord's judgment is near. it's common to hear people talk about the God of the Old Testament as being angry. And some people struggle with that because we know that Jesus is God in the flesh, but honestly, when we meet Jesus, he seems so different from the God of the Old Testament, this God who's gonna stomp all the birds, this God who's gonna crush and erase every trace of us from the face of the earth. How do you hold that together Again, we're told that God loves us, but when you read something like Zephaniah, the only thing you can come away with is, man, this is one angry God. And and in the book of Zephaniah, I mean, it's not just that he's angry. He's in total destruction mode now. I I mean, total annihilation. He's talking about erasing every trace of humanity from the face of the earth. This is one angry God. So, So again, People tell us that God is love, that that God loves us, but how would we know, especially when we read a book like Zephaniah, especially when you read of a God of such wrath, if he is a God of love, and if he is a God, a singing father who sings over us, how can this God who sings over us with the love at the very same time be this God of wrath who's going to come and wipe away all trace of evil in the world? How? 
How can it be this God of wrath and this God of love at the same time? This is important because some of us really don't quite understand how God thinks about us, how God feels about us, but most of us have this sort of sinking feeling that one way or another, he's mad at us. God is angry. And since God is mad at me, then therefore I better not show my face anywhere around the church. Ever invite anybody to church? And they say, I can't go to church. You kidding me? The roof will cave in if I walk in there. You ever had anybody say that? Because I hear it all the time. Pastor, I can't go to church. Man, if I walked in church, I'm telling you, God would strike the whole place. Boom. They're just simply saying that they have this sense that God is angry. And they better not go anywhere close to this guy because I'm telling you, if they draw near to him, he is going to smoke them. So if you're trying to figure out how God really feels about you, can how does the book of Zephaniah help? Well, let me just, let me explain a couple of things to you. First off, understand this. God's wrath burns hot because his love runs deep. You're thinking that love and wrath are somehow opposites, and they're not. They're actually sort of two sides of the same coin. Love and wrath actually go together. Have you never met a mother bear I say mother bear. What do I mean by that? Why would I say, have you never met a mother bear? What is a mother bear like? Well, she's fine unless you do what? Unless you step in between her and her cubs, okay? Ordinarily, a mother bear would just as soon not meet you. But if you're standing between her and her cubs, she's going to come at you. You're going to have you some mother bear. Okay, because her love is fierce. Her love is ferocious. So honestly, when that mother bear comes and mauls you, it's out of love for what? For who? For her babies, for for her cubs. A mother bear doesn't typically attack people uh, unless her cubs are threatened. So understand, love and wrath sort of go together. Uh, God's wrath is like that. It, It runs hot because his love runs deep. You have to understand this. You have to understand that God is a a, a God of love. Scripture goes so far to say that he is love. God is love. It's not enough to say that he's loving or or that he has love. He is love. It's the closest way to describe him. It's the closest word in our language to help you understand the very nature of God. He is love, which means it is not in God's heart to harm. It is not in God's heart to hurt. God is love. And God created us, all of us, out of the overflow of his great love. It's a heart of love. God brought us into existence so that that we could share his love and know his love. You were born because God wanted to love you. God wanted to bless you. God only has good things in mind for you. His plan for your life was a plan where you would know his love and share his joy and live out your entire life according to his purpose to bless you. It's his only plan for you. He did not create you so that one day he could draw you out, strip you naked, and fry you. He did not create you to crush you. He created you to bless you. God is love. He is a God of love. He is pure love. He is the most perfect kind of love. You can't even imagine the strength and power and purity of God's love. He's a God of love. Because he is a God of love, that means he is protective. Read 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's called the love chapter. And it talks about all the things that love is. And in all of those places where it talks about love, understand we're also describing God. And it says that love always forgives, that love always bears everything. And it says very clearly, love protects. Love always protects. It's that protective nature of love that brings us around to God's wrath. Love protects. It's like the mother bear who loves fiercely her cubs. She would lay down her own life for the sake of her cubs. She's going to protect her cubs. And God's love is like that. He is fiercely dedicated to protecting us. He's fiercely devoted to loving us. He's fiercely devoted to blessing the world. So understand that that fierce love, that that devotion to protect us, that's where his wrath comes in because God's wrath is, is poured out toward all of those things that contradict, that work against his love. God pours out his wrath on all of those things that would threaten those that he loves, the things that would hurt and harm us. Do you understand this? God pours out his anger on sin. It's on sin. Now, when you think of sin, understand sin is about the bad things that you and I do. Anything that we do that we call sin, understand, is simply, in one way or another, a failure to love because God is love. When they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all? What did he say? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these things, he said, all of the law is fulfilled. It all boils down to love. So sin is anything in our lives or anything in all creation that counters, that runs against, that contradicts God's love, that works in the opposite direction of God's love. That's sin. It's everything in the world that we would call sin. It's everything in the world that we would call evil or wicked. It's anything in the world that has to do with destruction, death, stealing. You understand? Sin, evil, wickedness, these are all of the things that are the opposite of God's love. And because God is love, and because God is fiercely devoted to you and me, God is honestly going to prod his anger on sin. Because sin is what hurts us. Sin is what harms us. Sin is what gets in the way of God's intention to bless our lives. So the book of Zephaniah is the story of the mother bear. It's the God who comes to pour out his anger on sin. The God who comes to make right everything that's gone wrong with the world that he loves. Are y'all with me? Did y'all understand what I'm saying? Is this making sense? God pours out his anger on sin. So understand, he pours out his anger on sin. He pours out his love on you. God loves you. His wrath is actually that, that, that other side of his love. It's that fierce devotion to protecting you, that fierce devotion, that fierce determination to separate you from all of the things that would destroy you. People say, I don't understand why Jesus doesn't just come. This is the point. When, 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 when the Lord comes, when God comes to make everything right, understand, there's going to be a lot of people caught up in that. And the reason that God prolongs his coming is just that simply, it's, it's patience. He wants to give people time to repent. He pours out his anger on sin, but because people choose sin, people love sin. When God finally comes to judge, to make everything right, there could be a lot of people caught up in that. God's patience is based on his love. He pours out his love on people. 
God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Zephaniah is a love story. It's a God who comes once and for all to make right everything that's gone wrong with his people, everything that's gone wrong with his creation. That's why verse 14 just comes out of nowhere. I mean, this dark and gloomy prophecy, the God who's going to come and just erase all signs of wickedness from the world. And then out of nowhere, verse 14, sing. Oh, daughter of Zion, sing. Shout aloud. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. What? What? wiped out the nations, devastated their fortress walls and towers. The streets are deserted. The cities lie in ruin. There are no survivors, none at all. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud. What? This dark, dark, dark prophecy ends with the most beautiful invitation to know and enjoy your God. Where does that come from? It comes out of a very, very basic fundamental principle. God pours out his love on you. In the end, even his judgment on the world is an expression of perfect love, perfect justice, perfect love. He loves you. God loves you. For all in this life that you have suffered, God loves you. For all of your doubt and all of your fear and all of your sinfulness, he loves you. You might ask, how would I know? I mean, how would I know if he does? It's hard enough with people sometimes to know where you stand with, with, with certain people, but, but a God that you cannot see, a, a God that you can't know, how would you know what his heart is toward you? This, this is what I'm telling you. He gave up heaven. This is the ultimate riches to rag story. He left heaven. I said that it's hard to know how God feels about you because you can't see him. But but, but this is the point. He took on flesh so that he could come and you could see him. He, He took on flesh. You cannot see the God who is eternal love, the God who is spirit, the maker of, of heaven and earth, the God who is beyond the laws of physics, beyond the, all, all of the canons of science, this God who is unseeable, unknowable. Do you understand? He came down. He gave up heaven for us. He put on flesh so that you could know him, so that you could see him, so that he could be touched. Do you understand? So that he could be embraced, so that he could, he could look us in the eye and we could understand God's heart toward us. He gave up heaven. He gave up heaven. He did that for you. He did that for me. He wanted us to know him. He wanted us to understand him. He wanted to be accessible, touchable. He wanted us to understand his love. For God so loved the world that he, what? 
gave his only begotten son. He loved the world so much, he sent his son. He wanted us to know him. But understand, he gave up heaven for that. Some of you won't even give up your seat in church. I'm like, you don't even want to give up your pew. Like, you don't give up nothing. It's like, if I go a little bit long, you get upset because like all the Methodists will be meeting you to, beating you to cheddars. It's like, you want to be ahead. You want to protect what belongs to you. You just, you like to hang on to, to whatever you think belongs to you. But understand, that's the opposite of the very heart of God. God who is great, God who is all-powerful, almighty. What does he do with all of his power? What does he do with all of his might? What does he do with all of his majesty? Do you really want to know? Well, since you asked, I'll tell you. He lays it down. He lays it all down. He lays down his magnificence. He lays down his throne in heaven. He sets aside all of his status, all of his power, all of his prerogatives of being God, he lays all of that down for one simple reason, out of love for you. He gave up heaven for you. He did not owe you anything. He didn't owe us anything, and yet he came to give us everything. Do you understand that? It's not like he was obligated to us. He loves us. He was not willing that any of us should perish. He wants all of us to come to salvation. He gave up heaven for you. He gave up heaven for you. I don't know how to say it so that you can understand it. I guess there weren't any words to describe it. That's why the word became flesh. Isn't that what the gospel of John says? There's no way to express love like this. It just got to come and be with you. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He gave up heaven. I know in this life, we don't always appreciate a good riches to rags story, but this is the ultimate riches to rags story. He gave up everything that had to do with being God. He came and lived a life like yours so that you could live a life like his. He loves you. He, he gave up heaven for you. Next, he, he fights for you. He, he fights for you. Man, this meanest kid in Woodburn used to ride our school bus. He was like 30. You know, back in the old days when you could fail school and actually be held back? Uh, this guy rode our school bus, but like he had a beard. He was 30, easily 30. And the meanest, just the meanest creature that, 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 that God ever made. I mean, this is just a mean guy, just... You didn't want to sit near him on the bus. You didn't, I mean, gosh, you didn't want to be anywhere close to him. Mostly if he noticed you, you were just in trouble. I mean, he just delighted in cruelty and torture. And in those days, there were no cameras on buses, you know. Um, so anyway, stuck with him. But the thing is, every now and then, he would sort of like somebody. Like he just sort of claimed you as, you know, his you know, pitiful little friend. And, and I got to be his pitiful little friend one year. And you know what? At that point, he was kind of handy to have around because the guy who normally I would fear because, you know, he, he's just a, you know, a, a creep, but, but understanding that once his strength and, and his, all of that was, was for me, I felt pretty good. You understand? And this God of power, this God of might, this God of perfect goodness, 
You often fear him because somehow you suspect that all of his power is going to be turned against you, that somehow he's not for you. But, but this is what you have to understand. This God is for you. This God loves you. He, he fights for you. He does not come to attack you. He comes to scatter the armies of your enemies. That's what Zephaniah says. This is why the daughters of Zion and Israel can rejoice because it turns out that this God who, who they thought was coming to crush them, no, no, actually he came to protect them. He didn't come to fight them. He came to fight for them. And this is how God is in your life. This God that you blame for everything that goes wrong, you've got it so backwards. This God that you just, you spend most of your life being mad at him because everything bad that happens to you, you blame him. You are so mixed up. You really don't understand who's fighting for you and who's fighting against you. I love what Jane Clark's mother said right before she died. Jane Clark's mama had buried a son. And they asked her in the days before she died if she was ever mad at God or bitter at God but because she had to bury her son. You know, you know what Jane's mama said? Why would I be mad at God? He's the one that brought me through it. You understand? See, you end up mad at God. Like God's the one doing these horrible things to you, but actually God's the one bringing you through it. He's the only reason you're standing on your feet today. He's the only reason that your grief hasn't completely destroyed you. He's your only source of hope, faith, and love. You understand? This God is for you. He's for you. He loves you, and he's for you. But beyond that, notice what verse 17 says. He takes delight in you with gladness. It's not just that he's for you. He favors you. You're his delight. Man, I've never been anybody's favorite anything. And I was like the youngest, dumbest grandchild, you know. Like my cousin Ted played football and everybody else had something. I was just, you know, fat, sissy grandkid. You know, my grandma couldn't even remember my name half the time, you know. In school, I wasn't the smartest or anything. I was just in there. I was just one of them. You know, but to read verse 17 and understand that the God of heaven takes delight in me. I mean, you understand that? He's a personal God. You think, well, we can't all be his favorites. This is what you don't understand. We're all his favorites. He's so much better than my grandma. You understand? He can have all of us as his favorites. He takes delight in you. If God has a refrigerator, he's got your picture on it. You understand? He takes delight in you. He loves you. He thinks about you. And when he thinks about you, it's with gladness. He's not thinking, man, I just hope, I just hope she comes near the church. I'm going to burn that place down. That's not how God thinks about you at all. Not at all. All of these things you carry, this guilt you carry, and you imagine that it's God reminding you of. You imagine that God must be as mad as you. It's the guilt you feel. You understand that's not how it works at all? Scripture says he cast your sin as far as east is from the west. So the way you come around and you continue to bring your sin up to God, it's like you confess your sin and you've confessed it 900 times. And God's already forgiven it and cast it into the sea. So he's going, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, you keep bringing it up, and God's not bringing it up. That's you. You bring your sin up. You're the one that won't let it go. God's let it go. When he looks at you, he doesn't think about your sin. He thinks about his son hanging on the cross, paying for your sin. He sees you with delight and gladness. He delights in you. He delights in you.
He sings over you. That verse there is actually kind of hard to translate. If your Bible's still open, verse 17, the Lord your God is living among you. He's living among you. He's a mighty savior. Three things, he will take delight in you with gladness. That's very straightforward. This middle phrase is very hard to translate from the Hebrew. Zephaniah the prophet wrote in the Hebrew language. So anytime we read it in English, you have to translate the English from Hebrew words. The thing is, these words are hard to translate. We don't know exactly, exactly what he's saying. We know it's good, we just don't know exactly what he's saying. The New Living Translation says, with his love, he will calm all your fears. I love that. I think that's probably a good translation. The Hebrew literally says something like, uh, he will silence you with his love. He, he will silence you, um, or he will, he will quiet you. It has to do with this incredible love, but, but, but it has to do with, with, with a quietness. New Living Translation says he, he'll, he'll calm your fears. A minute ago when I dedicated Lincoln and he got a little anxious because I got a little long and I wasn't paying attention to him. Notice how instantly when he went into his daddy's arms, you know, boom, you know. It's, it's, it's that sort of thing. This is your relationship with God, and this is how you're wired. This is how you're made. It, it is his love and his love alone that can quiet you. This anxiety, this grief, this fear, this anger, this bitterness. It's, you, you can... Try medication, and some of you probably should, honestly, but, but the only thing that's really going to calm that craziness in you is, is the very love of the Father. He, he does this. He can do this for you. His love, it, it, it calms us. It quiets us. You know, when love is, is new and fresh and, and weird, uh, it's very hard to be silent with each other. Um, Casey and I met in college. We were working with a high school ministry, and we got paired up together. And y'all know this woman is so far out of my league. I mean, I mean Casey, even in college, was just, you know, way uh, out of, I mean, I'm a doofus. I mean, y'all are still thinking, how did he get her? And we don't know. Y'all, we don't know. Um, but one night we were driving to Warren East High School to, to attend a dance and, and, uh, and be there for Young Life. Um, I, I remember like trying to think about what we'll talk about in the car, you know? Because on those like, and we weren't dating, it wasn't a date. Um, we were just together leading, you know, to all this. But, um, but you know, um, I, was, I was so nervous and, uh, and if it got quiet, it just felt so awkward. You know what I'm talking about? It's like those phone conversations where it's like, you know, oh, no, like nobody talks. It's like the most awkward thing in the world. That, that silence is almost impossible to bear. Um, but as love grows deeper and deeper and deeper, the silence of someone really just becomes the, uh, the, the communion of souls. You know what I mean? 
I no longer have to like rehearse what we'll talk about at supper. You know, and sometimes the very best thing of all is just to be together and, and not say words at all. God's love is like that. The deeper you go in your prayer life, you'll find that. You don't have to just keep yammering on with words. Soon it is just so good to be near him, so good to be in his presence. That last verse, <laughs> the last verse is amazing. He, he sings away your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. A, a, a singing God, it, it's, just, it, it's just more than I can even imagine. What do you think his voice sounds like? If you could hear the song he's singing over you right now, what, what song would it be? How, how does he sing? And, and what, what is the nature of his song f- for you? For some of us, it must be like a mother's lullaby. The idea that he sings away our fears, that he calms us with his love. Maybe it's, it's, it's singing the way I used to sing to my son to help him go to sleep. I used to love to sing to him. And God is that kind of singing father, you understand? He sings away our fears. He, he, he sings us into calmness. He, he, he's just that God who is tender. I, I know that he's a God of fierce wrath, but understand, with his children, he is so very tender. And, and with you, he is so tender. He, he sings to calm you. He, he, he sings to, to cause you to rest. He, he, he sings so that you will long to stay in his presence and just be with him. He, he, he sings, but there's also this sense of just joyful songs. He's just overflowing with joy when he thinks of you, overflowing with joy when he looks upon you, and he just sings like a true lover. You know, love songs. He just sings because he loves you. Isn't this crazy? I mean, we come to church and we sing songs to him and we direct our hearts to him and we lift our hands and and adore and worship him. But do you understand? He's doing that over you all the time. He adores you. He, He loves you. It's just impossible to understand what in the world he sees in us, but he loves us like this. He sings. He's a singing father, singing joyful songs over you. Right now, sings over you. I'm telling you, God loves you. You say, well, Pastor Tim, how would I know? Telling you. He he left heaven for you. He was not willing to love you from a distance. I don't care what Bette Midler says. Remember the old song, God is watching from a distance. And she would sing that song and get this, this, you know, real weird spacey look in her face. And at the end, she'd wave like, hello. You know, that's so dumb. God isn't watching us from a distance. This is the whole point of the Christmas story. He was not content to watch us from a distance. He came down. He came to where we are. It's Zephaniah's amazing good news. The Lord, your God, the King, the mighty Savior, he's living among you. He's not somewhere off in a distance. He's with you. He came to be near you. He's closer than your very own breath, and he's never going to leave you. He's never going to leave you. You may leave him, but he won't leave you. You may forget him, but he will not forget you. You may never sing to him, but he will never stop singing over you. How do you know he loves you? You're his delight. He sings over you. The Lord, your God, is a mighty Savior. 
is living among you. Angel said, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So if you're wondering how he feels about you, don't listen to me. Why don't you just ask him? He's right here. Pray with me.